Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Emily Sikorsi and Justin Foster, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Mark. Emily and Justin are the founders of the intrinsic brand practice Root and River and the co-authors of Rooting Up Essays on Modern Branding. Working with heart-based leaders, they believe that all great brands are spiritual, spiritual experiences. Emily and Justin are on a mission to inspire all leaders to go inward and reframe and redefine the roles of brands and their impact on the world. Emily and Justin, it's great to have you on the show. We are looking forward to the conversation. I'm excited about this conversation because I'm a brand guy. I'm an architect, but I'm like I'm the business side of the architecture firm and uh, I am passionate about business and the piece of business that makes me most excited, the thing that I used to go find magazines and read success stories about always revolved around brands and branding and and how that all worked. And so I'm excited to have this conversation with you. But before we jump into that conversation, I wanna know more about each of you. Uh, so Emily, I wanna start with you. Go back for you know, the, for when you discovered your passion for what you do and share that story from that moment to today and, and bring us to, to where we are now. 
Well, I've always been a lover of language and have always consumed um, books. And I used to go to the, one of my favorite things to do during the hot Arizona summers when I was growing up was to go to the library and get a stack of books and then just pound through them. I just could not get enough of language and story. And so those have been passions of mine throughout my life. Um, I was a journalist for eight and a half years, maybe not surprisingly. It kind of was a surprise to me because I went to college, I got a degree in communication and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I actually spent some time abroad, but I got into journalism and rekindled, reconnected to that love of language and word and storytelling. And um, I then I, I, I left journalism and I went into PR and did that. And I just found that there was, once I started exploring the business side of, of, uh, you know, as a journalist, it was just, I was more, you know, focused on the storytelling and the editing and the, and the authorship. But when I started to understand more of the business dynamic, there was this big gap between like the soul of a, of a story and um, every business had one, but the business founders and leaders were so poor <laughs> at being able to pull that thread out of themselves and then to share it with our audience. And to me, it felt like a major injustice. And so I was in that space of feeling like disgruntled and upset about that when I met Justin and he was doing some, he was doing brand consulting, which on its face, I was like, yeah, I think we need this. I was a VP of corporate communication by that point. And then the way that he was presenting it was, a, you know, it was akin to what we're doing today. And I just thought, ah, this is the missing piece. Mm. And this is where story and intention and passion and also the practicality of sharing a message with an audience come together. And I was, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is how I can channel all these things into one beautiful experience for other people. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love where you came from, but I love how you met Justin and it sort of, you know, it, you resonated with one another. You're like, Oh, look, I found somebody who speaks my language and understands the way I think. And let's go do this thing. So Justin, what's your, what's your story? How did you get to where we are now? Yeah, Mark, my my story uh, is a series of unexpected accidents that only make sense in arrears. <laughs> Where as life unfolds, there's all these moments like meeting Emily se seven years ago, I think when we first met at a conference. Um, but my background is somewhat unorthodox. I was raised on a large cattle ranch in Eastern Oregon. Um, I grew up in a uh, fundamentalist church, which will F you up pretty good. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it didn't go to college. Um, well, I tried, I, I tried going to college, but, uh, I, so I, I, I felt, I spent the first 40 some years of my life trying to figure out who I was and, you know, uh, overcoming childhood, um, violence and a bunch of stuff. And, so when I met Emily, I was in a very interesting place. It's kind of funny because in 2012, when we first, when she first heard me speak, she was in the audience, but she looked at my social media profile. And at that point I was still pretty stridently like a right wing Christian um, to, 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 you know, to infuse that story into it. And yeah. she went, no, not for me. <laughs> and, uh, so we met, we met again in 2014 and, um, there's a moment though, where I knew that branding was the thing I was here to do. Um, and that was, I, I had become self-employed with a team of people 
um, team of guys that I, we started a business called Blue Line in Boise, Idaho back in 2003. And in 2006, we found out early 2006, late to early 2007, late 2006, somewhere in there, we found out that one of our, uh, one of the founding partners had been stealing from us. And um, so it was a expensive lesson and be careful who you partner with. But in that we had this client. And, and so my role, Mark, was Rainmaker. I was, mm -hmm. I was not involved really in the strategy session. Sometimes I would sit in, but my job based on my background in sales was to go get deals, go get clients. Well, we had, the, had this new client and they were supposed to have their strategy session the day after we fired the, 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 mem the, you know, the partner that he did run all the strategy. And they were, the other partners were like, well, we should reschedule. And I'm like, no, we're not going to reschedule. We need the money, first of all. Um, we, need, we need to get that second payment and uh, I'll do it. And they're like, all right. And it felt like, it reminded me, I got to meet Andy Roddick a few years ago and he told the story of the first time his dad in Nebraska handed him a tennis racket and how it felt in his hand. And facilitating that strategy session and realizing my intuitive gifts and my hard scrabble background and my understanding of sales and my ability to relate were so much more relevant and useful than how to develop an ad campaign that wins you an award but doesn't do anything for your client. And that was the beginning of uh, my journey to then a few years later, you know, five years later or seven years later, meeting Emily. And here we are today in 2021, unbelievably doing our intrinsic branding thing for um, brands all over the world. Yeah. So you too sort of found your way there. And then when you found it, it was this epiphany that I found the thing that I'm supposed to be doing and it right. resonates with you. Right. Um, do you remember the moment? And this is a question for both of you. Do you remember the moment when you discovered branding and like what that is and how it works and why it's important and all of that? I think I was really in that space of exploring it um, right before I met Justin. Um, I actually, before that, when I was working at a PR, the PR firm, the, the owner of it, she had an MBA and um, she was saying, I'm just really is this term branding and they don't even know what it means. And that always stuck in my mind. I was like, hmm, that was a very like, very uh, fierce reaction to something. And it just always was like, oh, well, maybe it's something new. Maybe it's something that I need to figure out, put it aside. And then as in my role at that time before I met Justin, I was, um, as I had kind of leading this brand and bringing together as a global brand with distributors all over the world. And I worked directly and was recruited by the CEO and founder, co-founder, who was just full of a hundred ideas. I mean, he printed out his list of URLs that he had purchased when I when I first <laughs> started working for him and slapped it on the table. And I was like, okay, this is so much. And I a, knew a visionary. Yes, which was so wonderful. What a beautiful experience for me. But I also knew we needed to wrap our arms around something one idea. We needed focus and we needed a way to engage our audience because other competitors were coming into the space, a human behavioral research company, and they were really advancing the conversation and we were not. So, and I started to, you know, feel, I started, you know, I, I, I ran into Simon, not literally, but <laughs> I ran into Simon Sinek's work with Start With yeah. Why, and I was beginning to go down that path of like digging into what a brand is truly com composed of. So that was, what year was that, Justin? 2014? 
Yeah. What about you, Justin? Do you do you remember that moment where it sort of all sort of connected? Yeah, very much. Um, so the interesting context for this is I was raised around what the original term for a brand was, which is the mark. Right. The yeah. And and so so I'd heard the term and I knew I think even as a kid, it was associated with like, you know, a logo or a mark. And, you know, then I'm doing my thing. I was in corporate sales. I worked my way up to VP of sales of two different software companies um, doing B2B software sales. And um, kind of aware of brand, but sort of suspicious of marketers and marketing. I mean, I still am. Um, they, when they would come in, they would come in like the agency would come into the company and like the agency people and they would have their, you know, black turtlenecks and their storyboards. And they seem completely dissociated from the reality of revenue generation. And I still think that's often true. It's often, that's why, you know, when the work that we do, we're trying to keep the business model and the brand in harmony, not in conflict. Anyway, but I was in um, in Scottsdale actually in 2002 at, you'll love this, I was at a, what's called an OTR tire conference. OTR stands for off the road. So like those big, huge, like tires that are on tractors and like yeah, mining yep. equipment and stuff. And there was a session on branding. So I went to it and it was this guy that was out of casting central for the type of guy you would think would be given a workshop on branding at a tire conference. Kind of a, a paunch and his shirt was a little tight, too tight and his tie was a little too short and his jacket was sort of ill-fitting. And he said, your brand is your presence when you're not present. I was like, oh, yeah, there it is. That's and I, it. I'll, I'll never forget that because to me, outside of, our definition of brand, which is our definition of, of brand is how other people experience what you believe. That was the first time where it started to make sense. And then the last little bit of this was a book by Greg Steelstra uh, called Pyro Marketing. And I got to meet Greg at a book signing and read his book. And um, that, that kind of put in the tactical aspects of, okay, I get that your brand is your presence when you're not present. Well, how do you build that presence? And pyro marketing was really instrumental in kind of framing that for me. Well, let's talk about that. I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s with iconic brands like Marlboro Man and Betty Crocker. And, and I remember the, the commercials when I was a kid watching you know, cartoons, the Kool-Aid Man, you know, breaking through the wall. Oh, yeah. And Tony the Tiger. They're great. Right. And, and so those are, you know, I'm look, I was looking at some of the documents you sent over to me and. And I realized, and, and I discovered those are conceived brands. They're meant to inspire and connect with buyers, but they're not really the true reflection of the product that they're selling or the company behind them. They're just sort of icons that catch your eye and sort of push it into your face enough times for you to go buy it or to, to get your kid to nag their parents to go buy it. Um, can we talk a little bit about that period to sort of set it up a little bit, that pre-digital age and how branding was done back then and why they did it and why it doesn't really work anymore today? Absolutely. Yeah, we call that um, blunt force trauma marketing. <laughs> right. Um, like so literally with the Kool-Aid man crashing through yeah, the wall. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but essentially, post-World War II era, a lot of the tactics that worked during propaganda during the war were sort of infused into this Mad Men era of marketing and advertising. And it was really this age where like the flashy idea and the, um, the, the ability to mass market that flashy idea to an audience was coming into 
American, you know, culture and American commerce. And it was really around this idea, and I'm glad you pointed out Betty Crocker and Marlboro Man, because those are really good examples of the way it was coercion and manipulation. And it was designed to kind of tap into the um, psychological right. constructs of perfect you know, housewife and ease. Wouldn't you want this to be easier? And wouldn't you want to be this rugged definition of masculinity? So not just, not only are they presenting these fun images or alluring visually images but they're also presenting a narrative that is is dependent upon somebody feeling like they are less than and they need this thing and they need to consume this item which is really what our economy was being built on during that era this whole construct that everyone could come back from the war and live these perfect lives I was really also I was recently reading this like the first time this idea of being like a full-time stay-at-home housewife completely focused on your children was coming into its own prior to that women were really engaged in work and the kids kind of had more freedom so interesting side note but it really was to your point a um these brands were separate from the the mothership the companies and there was no connection between what the company believed and their ethic and then what they put out in the market because they they could market and say oh these cigarettes will make you feel great when they actually give you cancer and make you feel awful um you can't do that anymore because we have moved as a society into right. an era where we are no longer manipulating, but we're instead we're informing and inspiring. And we have to, as individual organizations, whether you're an architectural firm or what have you, you need to be in alignment from what you believe, from your root system, as we call it, what exists in your soil of soul to the thing that you are making to the world. Um, now more than ever, that people are consumers, clients are reliant upon that alignment and they are looking for it and they are asking for it. And if you don't have it, they will choose somebody else to work with. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it was it was easy to market that way back then, right? When it, when there was no internet, and there were you know there was television, there were newspapers and magazines and billboards, right? Yeah. And that was pretty much the way you communicated your brand to the public. So you had a captive audience, uh, and they could brand any way they wanted to brand to you. And the things that, like you said, the things that worked is the things they they used. And they could hire, then you could hire a PR firm if you did something, you know, like, you know, Harvey Weinstein, you know, type stuff or, or you know, did dump toxic waste. You could hire a PR firm or a lobbyist and they could cover that up for you. And just um, spin it to non-existence. Yeah, spin it to non-existence or suppress it or whatever. And I think what's interesting about this, and I'm a history nerd, so you combine branding and history. The, the, if we want to, we want to blame somebody, it's a guy named Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays was Freud's nephew who was actually, his work was used extensively with Joseph Goebbels, Goebbels in Germany, for, for Nazi Germany. A lot of those same tactics, as Em said, were brought into the madman era. And, and we still do some of this today. Sure. The, the alerts that come through, like, you know, like on your social media, that's a dopamine hit. Um, certain kinds of ads or earworms, certain ways of lights and colors and sounds are all dopamine hits designed to create right. a the foundation attention. of right. Facebook. Right. The foundation <laughs> of Facebook. Right. And the attention, it creates like an attention, attention addiction. Um, and this is why we teach our, all of our clients that really what you're trying to do is you're trying to trigger oxytocin. 
I'm trying to trigger love and trust. And you can't do that if you're messing with people's heads and using their fears and biases and worries, just tell them stuff they don't need. Um, and I think the final thought there for me is nobody needs, nobody, the, 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 the role of marketing was often to introduce a product that you'd never heard of before. Maybe you need it, maybe it didn't. But now the market is so saturated. There's competitors on every corner of every industry. And so, and, and a lot of them are excellent at what they do. And so excellence isn't a differentiator anymore. It's like when people ask me, what's the best barbecue in Austin? And I'm like, all of it, because you can't suck <laughs> at that. You've got a business. And so that's where differentiation comes in and feelings and experience and understanding the emotional needs of the, your, your audience and things that require, Mark, a high level of emotional and spiritual intelligence. Because it's not about just being a hard charging marketeer, even though Sometimes you think that when you look at people, the use of click funnels and social media saturation and everything, but that doesn't really work. Not for the people that that we attract. Right. I mean, with with the internet, we have infinite information. We have infinite opportunities and options to choose from. Um, completely different from the pre-digital age where it was just, you know, magazines, newspapers, television, and billboards. Um, and so what you just said about oxytocin and, and love and emotion is really the only way, right? The only way to differentiate yourself is to make that emotional connection with the people who resonate with who you are. And so that requires us to share our brand and who we are and be authentic about that, be true about that, about who we are and, and align ourselves with that, that small audience that may resonate with us, right? Yes, yes we often say, audience is not who you're looking for people come to us like oh i need to get all these people i'm looking for all these people we try to shift that idea to it's the people who are already looking for you specifically because you do have something uh, a belief something very hardwired into you that they also have and so let's make it easier for them to find you by putting that out front when prior it was kind of in the background. Oh, once they come in, maybe they might experience this belief of mine or I might share it with them. We're, we're getting rid of all that and putting it out on the billboard. <laughs> this is what we believe. If you believe this too, we're for each other. Come join us, be part of this movement. And how we do it is architecture or how we do it is branding or how we do it is, you know, creative design, whatever, whatever the product is. It's not about the product anymore, the service to Justin's point. Anybody can buy anything from anyone, anywhere at any time of day. It's really about that alignment and then the experience of it and how it makes us feel and, and um, you know, what we, what we take away that really has meaning and depth for us. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider immersing your clients in a way that they'll love and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. 
Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial. Check it out at twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to get Twinmotion for free. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to rcat.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T, Com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you could spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section and get more time back build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbook. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. And, and that alignment is critical, right? Because it, 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 we, we, you cannot manipulate anymore mm-hmm. because the, the sensors are so tuned to that falseness yeah. You know, especially in our society, in the world that we're living in today, in the last, I don't know, five years, right. constantly being bombarded with information that's not true, we're all skeptical, right? We all are thinking everything you tell me is no longer true. So I have to find the things that I know are true and go there. Right. Exactly. And to do that, this is why our mission, and you mentioned it in our in our intro, our mission is to inspire leaders to go inward. You have to go inward. You have to, the first step in a brand is knowing who you are. The second step is knowing what who you're who you're who's looking for you. And the third is knowing how to talk to them with you know original, unique, evocative language. Those are kind of the first three steps. But when we when we look at organizations or or even solo brands, so everything from one shop, you know, you know, the solo entrepreneur all the way up to a large corporation, the 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 identity crisis is real, and it's especially true for clients who are a little bit older, where they made their their success. I'm 50, so you know, my, my age and up essentially, where they they they've reached a level of success, but they've kind of lost who they are, and there's a kind of this this worry that they don't know how to communicate in the modern world. Um, and that's why we we call it we have a course uh, called How to Brand Yourself Even If You Don't Want To. 
There's a lot of people <laughs> that are reluctantly knowing that they need to brand themselves. Um, but the thing about it, Mark, with an identity crisis is the market will not tell you, at least in a healthy way, who you are. They will either misposition you or the most, most of the time, they'll just ignore you. Is that's that's yours to own, and that's 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 why we refer to what we do as intrinsic branding. You have to go inward to find out who you are, what's your mission, what what are your beliefs, what are your standards, how do you want to show up in the world, what's important to you, what's your vision. Those are all internal things that are often seen as private, but really what they are is the root system of your brand of how you show up in the world. How do you do that? You're you, we're talking right now to thousands of small firm architects. They are sole practitioners and owners of very small firms, architects are going through identity crisis. The profession is going through an identity crisis and individual architects are going through an identity crisis. Whenever we talk about in our community, whenever we talk about the value that we bring as architects or what is an architect in the general public, it, it, it spirals into this conversation of you know arguing or not knowing and, and that's the foundation of, of our profession. Who are we as architects? So how do we do that individually as architects? Because that's who we're talking to. We're talking to an individual person listening to us right now. How do we do that? How do we find who we are so we can take that first step to find the people who are attracted to who we are? Great question. And I mean, the question in itself is very revealing because all of the, oftentimes we're asked like, do you mean the, like the brand, the business, or do you mean me, the personal? And we say, yes. <laughs> right. They're one and the same. And if you don't think that your personal beliefs are reflected in the work you do, you're wrong. It's all part of one whole. And so it's first accepting that and then saying, okay, let me start with myself and let me look at what are, and this is a way that we often phrase when we are getting into uncovering the deepest beliefs that you have. So they're the ones you often don't, you aren't able to articulate or don't even know on a conscious level are there and that are guiding you. So we'll often ask our clients in a root session, which is a primary offering, um, what is it that you believe that no one ever taught you? It's a truth that you held inside of you from the very beginning. And that's the, so we ask them to reflect on that and we ask them to go inward. And if they have trouble, oftentimes we'll offer them this idea of think about a time as a very young child, usually before the age of five, um, where you perhaps were in trouble for something or you were pointed out for something and you didn't really understand why you were in trouble. Hmm. Um, because those are oftentimes instances where we are acting from our deepest, truest self. And then the, it is clashing with the world in some way, as you know, you get more articulate as a child, you're able to express that more. And so that is a place where you can begin to really look at your inherent core values. They're often called, we call them beliefs. And beginning to identify two or three of those, um, and I'll give you an example here. Um, one of my, what I have always known <laughs> true is what I mentioned earlier is language. When I was, one of my earliest memories, I was three years old. I was driving the back of my mom's uh, Pontiac station wagon and um, I was crying. I was so upset and she asked me what was wrong. And this is all, it's very like the memory is very like childlike stream of consciousness. And I think we had just been at a friend's house and she was older than me and she was reading. And I was crying because I wanted to read so bad. It still starts me up. <laughs> I wanted to read so badly. And I thought at three years old, I thought I will never be able to learn how to read and I need to learn how to read and I need to know now. 
So it's a cute story, but it also really reveals this like reverence for language and expression. And that's the, that's the belief for me. Yeah. And that's a root, that's a, that's a root of foundation of who you are as a person. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so you pick that up into thing. well, what does that have to do with a brand and my beliefs? Um, a lot of people can get uncomfortable with that, especially if they're Gen Xers or boomers, because we're told that, you know, keep work at work and home at home. And, um, or we see people that are, that go around talking about what they believe in there and they're annoying and no one likes them. Uh, you know, so there's this sort of bias related to that. Well, what you believe in informs largely is informed by and your mission, which is the, in our definition of a mission is the thing you're here to do that only you can do. Um, but when you think about how it starts to show up in the world, there's really three things that you need to know that to, is kind of the starting point is how do you want people to feel when they interact with you? Um, they're not buying architect, archety archetype, des, uh, you know, a design. They're not buying blueprints. They're not buying a house design. Not really. That's the business model. Right. They're buying, they're buying the way that makes them feel. They're buying the fulfillment of a lifelong dream. They're, they're, buying a, they're buying a risky investment or whatever. So what do you want them to feel? Uh, that's number one. Number two is why should they trust you with those feelings? Um, um, because if they don't trust you with their feelings, then it's going to be purely transactional. And it's not going to have that spiritual experience that we talk about. And then the third thing is, is how do you build in feedback loops to encourage word of mouth? And we often hear this from our solo clients in particular, which is we ask them, well, what's your current marketing practices? Oh, I, I, it's, it's just word of mouth. And they're like frustrated. And like, we're like, that's great. You just, <laughs> you just need to automate it. It's like when Dylan went electric, you know, you need to, you've learned how to do this acoustically. Now let's amplify it. And now you just are going to reach more of those people that are looking for you. So if you know who you are on the inside related to beliefs and mission, then you can begin to examine how you're relating with your, the outside world, looking for ultimately the right fit spiritually and strategically. And that's what we're looking for. You, you got to have both. I mean, from a business standpoint, we need to be strategically aligned and spiritually aligned. Well, that's true with any professional services, any art-based brand in particular, is you have to be spiritually and strategically aligned and that begins that alignment begins with knowing who you are and what your beliefs are yeah very interesting so if you if you know who you are and you align with a market who's interested in those beliefs what's the what's the next step that we need to take to make this actually work for us as a business so the next step is often one that people skip it's really getting clear precise about the language that we use and then getting consistent. I mean, you may have heard this, this term in marketing or branding is message discipline. And sometimes I think it was associated in the past with those PR spin doctors and like stick to the message politicians use it a lot, but it's really more of a practice. Um, it's what is my language? How am I going to express that in a way that is simple, unexpected and emotional? And then how can I play that out throughout the brand? How can that be infused consistently? So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is to really think about instead of, and most people we work with, they don't really want to market. They're reticent to like brand because they're humble. You're um, talking to them right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's I this audience. Yep. I get it. I'm one of you. But you have this ability as a human being that is innate in you, which is storytelling. 
And so how can you now take that language and tell stories? And it does, okay, so now the, for the pushback will be like, well, I don't wanna tell stories about me, that's self-aggrandizing, like, bleh. great, tell stories about your clients. Tell stories about when things went wrong and what you did to make it right or what you learned from that experience that went wrong. Point back to how that connects to these foundational language elements of your brand, your, your standards, your, your mission, your beliefs. And so that are amplifying by telling a story, by being in integrity with who we are and also shining a light on the work that you do and the people who benefit from it and their emotional connection. It's yeah. a simple age old practice and that's the most effective way for humans to communicate. How, how best do you share those stories? Because we're hearing that all over, right? Everybody's talking about story, story, story. Um, how do we do that, right? We're busy, first of all. Lots right. of, we're, we're sole practitioners, small firms. We have 15, 20 different hats on. How do we best communicate that once you understand what that story is and we understand these are the stories we should be telling, how do we actually do that practically? Yeah, this is not unlike the electrical um, structure inside of uh, kind of on a drawing on a, on a blueprint, which is you need to, you do need to invest unless you want to do it manual and analog all the time, which is a pain in the ass. Uh, nobody has time for that. But so you do need to invest in the kind of the power grid or the infrastructure of modern marketing. The thing about that is it's really confusing. There's so many platforms and stuff that, you, that are out there. However, there's some consistent patterns. You can use something like MailChimp and set up plumbing inside of MailChimp so that there's a lead magnet where someone you know, gives you the email on your website and then they go into the hopper and then they get regular updates. Um, you can, you know, there's, there's, there's that. There's also choosing with marketing, choosing the thing you have the most energy for and either not doing the other stuff at all or delegating it. There's plenty of resources out there of freelancers that can help you with your social media and you know your email marketing and all of that but you want to you want to pick the things that you enjoy so if you like shooting videos do that if you like writing do that if you like interviewing people start a podcast and invite people to it uh you know that type of stuff write a book whatever it's trust your energy towards something and which includes to the negative if you don't feel like doing something you can examine why and go i'm not going to do this or i'm going to delegate it um, and so when you have this infrastructure set up, it's then you're taking and you're dropping, basically you imagine a hopper, like a corn hopper and the, and the, and the stories are getting dropped in. You got to collect them. There's got to be a mechanism for collecting them. Um, and, or, and so stories are going in there. Another area, Mark, that is a huge opportunity for architects is thought leadership, not about architecture, but about uh, green green trends or urban development or social change or social justice. Um, um, you know, it doesn't have to be about the building or the land. It can be about something else. But there is a huge opportunity for thought leadership um, that can then go into the hopper as well. And then finally, um, generally speaking, you, you want, always want to have something that's um, at least clickable or sellable, sometimes referred to as the MVP or minimum viable product, is build something in like, like that is allows people to try you out and try what you do. And it, maybe that's just a 30 minute discovery call. Um, we, and you know, you want, you want to be like the sample, the people that give out the samples at, you know, the, at Whole Foods or Costco, you want to give them a taste of the crackers and cheese. And so you want to create that and create those opportunities to do that. 
if you do it right, if you build out the system and you know who you are and you, and you know how to tell stories, if you get that sort of chop wood, carry water aspect figured out, marketing to a, to a solo entrepreneur should take maybe two hours a week, maybe two hours. You can do more if you like, but if you're yeah. doing more and you don't want to do that, it's either you got a systems problem or you got a delegation problem, which is sort of a systems problem. Yeah, yeah, great advice. You you uh you have tapped into an audience here that is resonating with you right now. I guarantee you. I don't know if you've talked to to uh, small firm architects in the past, but everything you're talking about are things that we are struggling with. Um, do you have a way for architects to connect with you and uh, do some of these uh, these exercises with you? How do you do that? How do they connect with you? Absolutely. Just visit our website, which is rootandriver.com form, and we'll get right back to you. And we'll have that conversation, see where you're at, see where you want to be, see what stirred you about this. Um, and just get curious about, you know, where you are and, and explore that idea of spiritual and strategic um, alignment. I think, Mark, I wanted to add one thing is that architects, um, we work with a lot of people also in the, we've worked with architects before, but in the accounting space. And I find that these sort of more structured career paths and trees are really, I think a lot of people are in crisis right now, but they are especially, and I, I've noticed in ob observing them is this like looking at each other to see what other people are doing. And, you know, someone might've listened to what Justin said and, and thought, oh, well, I know this other guy is doing, he's doing that, or this other woman is, is already doing that. And so it's, we put up blocks and we put up barriers. And I would just invite you to look outside of your space, look outside of your industry for inspiration in other places and try not to limit yourself by um, judging where you are in comparison to your colleagues. It's a beautiful thing to have a profession that is so well-defined and organized, but it can also, the shadow side of it is that sometimes it stalls us from getting creative outside of those bounds. So just invite them to do that. And as, as part of that, if brand is part of it, please visit our website and continue the conversation. Very yeah, good. I, it's it's, uh, it's uh, root and river spelled out, rootandriver.com. Go ahead, Justin. I was just going to say that if if um, if you want to dig into something that is like almost this is like a little freebie related to you know the idea of sampling, um, is um, is just digging into the emotional needs of your audience. If you go to our website and you look through our blogs, and we're happy if they, somebody reaches out to us, we can send you the link. But we posted, we have a, a, a handy guide to understanding the emotional needs of your clients. What that does for people is it helps you talk about the business you're really in. There's the business model, then there's the business you're really in. You know, Amazon is not in e-commerce, they're in world domination. That's the business they're in. Um, the business we're in isn't really branding, it's therapy. I mean, ultimately we can't say that from a, you know, we from a legal standpoint that we do therapy, but there's a therapeutic aspect to like, oh, you mean I can be myself? Like, or, oh, like I can brand without coming across as um, someone that brands themselves and, you know, all of that. And yeah. um, so digging into the emotional needs of your audience and is a, is a, a kind of an immediate step that everyone could take. And then as M Emily said, we like to talk to all of the people that come to us. We like to have a conversation to see if we're a fit and um, we're more than willing to offer, like, um, once we have a proposal out to like doing work with us, offer like a 
free 30 minute working session just to sample us, just to see like, give us a problem, let's work on it together. Uh, and so those are some things they can do right, right away. Do you typically work with sole proprietors and really small businesses? We do, we work with solopreneurs, small businesses primarily, and then we do oftentimes um, work with larger organizations on rebrand projects. But typically yeah. the bulk of our clients are small businesses. And we love working with small firms too, where they're all the owners, like a partnership yeah. situation. There's a there's a, uh, a psychological dynamic that we are quite good at um, related to managing, whether if it's two, two partners or 10 partners, managing that to create a collective brand intelligence that goes out where everyone can be themselves, but there's a singularity to the brand experience based on the firm. That's fun stuff to do. But even if someone is a solo brand, we're, we're, here, to, we're here to help the people that want to do it differently. So if you're solo, we have, a, we have, we have stuff that's for you from a, both a structural and a pricing standpoint, all the way up to, as Emily said, larger organizations. Yeah, I can imagine that working with a firm of partners, that that's critical to have everybody on the same page. Even if everybody has their own personal feelings and the, their own personal identity, there has to be a, a you know consistent message that is being shared as a story from the firm, right? Yes, and most people, it's essential. And I, I think of all the ways that branding goes wrong, the number one way is that somebody takes this on as a project, sometimes as a CEO or the, the lead, and then they tell everybody else right. this is what their brand is, and that does not work. It will not work. And it, it's much easier when there's a collaboration, a co-creation, and something that's facilitated with somebody uh, who can offer some objectivity and some deft facilitation so that everybody has a part of it, truly. It's, it's not pandering, but that it is something that is co-created because brands are co-created among the people that give themselves to these endeavors. Yes. Um, as we leave our audience here today, this has been a fantastic conversation, just as good as I expected it to be. I, like I said, I really love this conversation, so it's been a lot of fun. Um, to leave our audience today, what's one thing that they should be focused on? What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Well, I run into this lately. I've been running into it a lot when I'm working with um, other entrepreneurs, maybe who are not as far down the line. So if that's anybody listening um, or you're in a moment of crisis, an identity crisis, and you think that everybody else has it figured out, I want to say to you, they don't. <laughs> We're all making it up as we go. And having clarity about your brand will help you in that process. It's not something you have to do later. It's part of that discovery. And so know that that can be a really helpful piece. But also just know that we are all of us, all of us, even, you know, Jeff Bezos, we're all making it up as we go along. Justin. Yeah, Mark, I think um, that what I would have folks consider is what are you most afraid to do? Like from a brand, from with your brand and your marketing and how you show up in there, what are you most afraid of? And do it, do it, do that. Um, it's an interesting thing. Courage and confidence trail action. They don't precede it. Um, and if you're, you know, especially architects and, you know, as Emily said, it is, you know, that's a pretty structured environment. Um, lots of straight lines, but, you know, where it's this very much an, the left brain, the analytical brain 
merged with the art side is when you begin to think about what you're afraid of, it will be something that will stretch you to do something that your soul knows to do. What Thomas Burton referred to as the primordial yes, or the primordial no. It's like, whatever your soul says to do, do that. It's going to be scary. And it could be that maybe you're going to make a, a public statement around, you know, your stand on racial injustice, or you're going to, um, you're going to um, support some cause that maybe you've done secretly, but you want more people to know about it. Or maybe you'll just talk about the things that motivate and inspire you as an artist as an, and as an architect. But whatever's scary, start there. If it feels safe, somebody's already doing it better than you. Justin Foster, Emily Sikorsi. Uh, the book is called Rooting Up Essays on Modern Building. Or no, <laughs> the book is called Rooting Up Essays on Modern Branding. Um, we'll have a link to that book on the show notes along with the website, rootandriver.com. Twitter, at Root and River. You can find them at Root and River pretty much everywhere. Um, Emily and Justin, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really uh, appreciate you for coming here and spending some time with us and talking with our audience. Uh, I've learned a lot myself. I know the audience has learned a lot as well. So thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, I enjoyed the conversation too. Thank you, Mark. It's nice to meet another enthusiast. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how you can help grow Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, FreshBooks, Arcat, and Twinmotion for their support of this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all our resources that we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. Go there now. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources for architects, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems our new business system program developed for you, the small firm entrepreneur architect. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Yep, they are there, there too. Entree Architect is there for you. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris. Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day I, i i don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. So for me, the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.